It said that because Rory O'Connor was the least well-known of the four executed men and may not have been familiar to the firing party, that this was the reason he took most of the original shots at the executions. But as Dublin historian Gerard Shannon has been telling us, O'Connor may not have been in the public eye and ear to the extent of the other three men, still he certainly was a very active and valued member of the IRA. His friendship with Joseph Plunkett, the Plunkett family and Thomas Clark is well known, and Gerard Shannon says that he was good friends particularly with Sean McDermott. Yeah, Sean McDermott, yeah, the, yeah, Rory O'Connor was a member of the IRP. Now, funny enough, he, he doesn't, he, he's one of those like Conor Brewer that leaves the IRP after 1916, he kind of feels it's kind of served its purpose during the Easter Rising but he was particularly close to the Plunkett family like at one point he was engaged to Joseph Plunkett's sister Fiona now that engagement seems to have been broken down there has been a suggestion he was engaged to someone else at the time of his execution and um, I've been given a name but I haven't been able to kind of back that up and this again goes back to what I was saying with, in the absence of personal papers or letters it's, it's very hard to make a sense of Rory O'Connor's personal life and you know the kind of friendships that you know were very important to him I mean we only I only know that he was particularly close to Kevin O'Higgins because we had the photo of him at the wedding and also that Kevin O'Higgins wrote very warmly of him. Unfortunately, we don't have any letters of Rory O'Connor writing about Kevin O'Higgins. He had a business life as well. He also set up a chemical factory. Well, they were supposed to make aspirin, but they were actually making explosives. Yeah, this is a company that he actually set up when he returned to Ireland in 1916 on the uh, Larkfield estate where the Plunkets lived. He actually set up a chemical company with a man called Thomas Dillon, who's also a close um, ally of the Plunkets. And he actually married uh, another sister of Joseph Plunkett's, Geraldine. Yeah, it was a chemical company they set up on the estate, uh, but it was actually covered for making bombs for the volunteers. And it was, again, it was Rory O'Connor taking his expertise, you know, with engineering and metaphysics. And this, I think, really put him in a good place to become the director of engineering on the Irish. AGHQ on early 1918 when, you know, the volunteers are kind of reformed after the rising and so on. So Rory O'Connor very much from the get-go, from pre-1916 all the way through the War of Independence, he's putting his expertise to use in service to the cause. Any particular reason why he was chosen for execution? We see several different variations on that. I mean, the popular one is that, like, one from each province, which to me has never really made any sense because I think kind of to say that Lee Mellows had a connection with Connacht was very vague. I mean, yes, of course he, he you know, he kind of fought in the West during the Easter Rising, but like Mellows was very kind of, you know, much tied to Wexford. Like, I mean, his request was to be buried there with his mother's people in Wexford where, where he's buried today. I think Rory O'Connor like the other three men was picked because he was very prominent. It was to make an impact on the morale of the anti-treaty IRA forces in response to the assassination of Sean Hales. I mean, the men who would have signed the execution order, not just Kevin O'Higgins, I mean, you have Richard Mulcahy, who came up with the idea in the first place of this reprisal execution. They would have been aware of the prominence and importance of Rory O'Connor. It was to impact the morale and the fighting spirit of the anti-treaty IRA. I mean, at this point, like, you know, the war is still very much going on. I mean, the conventional war kind of ends in August 1922. And then on the orders of the anti-treaty IRA chief of staff, Liam Lynch, they embark on guerrilla warfare, which up till nearly the end of 1922 is still very effective. I mean, the government and military of the Irish Free State would have felt they were very much fighting for their life. And in Richard Mulcahy's view and the subsequent view of the Free State Cabinet, they would have felt very justified in this reprisal killing. But of course, as we know, as I'm sure others have discussed today, there's no moral or legal justification for these particular four executions. We've heard in the past that the executions were due to take place on the morning of December 8th at 8 a.m., but Coleman Hennessy says that they were delayed by one hour because Liam Mellows had a difference of opinion with the prison chaplain, Father Piggott. 
Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Prior to the executions, Melos had a disagreement with the prison chaplain as he refused to take the bishop's pastoral, believing that those who die for Ireland had no need for prayer. He attended Mass but refused communion. As he went to the execution yard, Father Pickett, who had attended to Rory O'Connor at his request earlier on, made one last attempt to give Liam communion. Melos agreed and he administered it in the empty cell before they went into the yard. Melos requested that he visit his mother the following morning and deliver the letter he had written to her. Melos then took a small crucifix from his pocket and showing it to Pickett said, I want you to give this to her when it's all over. After the executions, there was a silence which Father Pickett said he would never forget for the rest of his life. He gave Melos the last rites and he left the yard a shaken man and it was only when he reached the prison gates that he remembered the crucifix he had promised to take to Liam's mother. He returned to the yard to find it lying beside the body. The next day he fulfilled his promise and delivered the letter and the crucifix as well as the truth of her son's final hours. He sacrificed his life for the dark Rosaline he loved so well. According to Coleman Hennessy, the executions were a warning to others and just as much a reason as a reprisal for the killing of Sean Hales. He also says that while Father Piggott would never forget the silence in the prison in the aftermath, it must have been traumatic for others as well. Well, you just wonder the effect that the executions had on everybody, you know, and, and there's also the date that the executions were carried out was the 8th of December. It was the Feast of the Immaculate Conception and it was a day when all the people from the country came up to do their shopping in Dublin. So this date was obviously used as a clear message to people from the countryside that the assassinations wouldn't be tolerated. The common good was one reason put forward by the government as to why they could not allow the pro-treaty side to win the civil war. We would be dragged into another war with Britain, a war that Britain would be far better prepared for on this occasion. It was a situation that the country they claimed could not afford. Sean Enright is a legal historian. What are his views on this matter? It's a justification, uh, but as I say, if they wish to do this, to do these things by due process is a good way to do it. My own view, for what it's worth, is the last thing the British government wanted to do was to come back in because they were uh, they were making immense cutbacks in their own armed forces, were no longer able to, to intervene to the extent they had in, in other countries' affairs. I've no doubt that the provisional government feared that if the anti-treatyites were successful, then the country would become ungovernable and the civil service would simply shrivel up, the army would be unpaid, chaos would ensue, and the anti-treatyites would try and seize the republic from the ruins. That was their agenda. Uh, ultimately, I have to say, I don't criticise the free state government because none of us have ever been in such a, an appalling position. I suppose the, one of the lessons of history is that if you depart from due process, then there are always adverse consequences further down the line. When I was looking into this story, I couldn't help but casting an eye at times to the story of Erskine Childers and habeas corpus. It failed in his defence. How about habeas corpus in the case of these four men? Would It obviously wouldn't have stood up either. 
In the case of Erskine Childers, his case was before the Court of Appeal when he was shot. So his application for habeas corpus had yet to be finally determined. And his counsel failed to ask for a stay of execution pending the appeal. And the government took advantage of that and shot the prisoner right away. But the feature of the executions, the Mountjoy executions, is they took place with such swiftness and suddenness. There was no time for any lawyer to intervene and take the case. And that was part of what the government planned to do, I suppose. back to the, the previous day, the day before the executions and the shooting dead of Sean Hales. Am I correct in saying he wasn't the target, that Padraig O'Malley was the target? Yeah, there is speculation in some surviving contemporary IRA correspondence at the time that Padraig O'Malley might have been the target. Liam Lynch, in at least two communications that I have found, has said that we would have wished that Sean Hales would have been the last to have been dealt with. You know, Padraig O'Malley was the target because he was the deputy street of the dog. I know uh, the historian Liz Gillis, who's written a lot of the Hales brothers, has speculated because O'Malley and O'Hales look physically similar that, you know, O'Hales, of course, was accidentally shot. Yeah, there is speculation as to that. I mean, I've seen there's one intelligence report I saw from 1924 that said there was a discussion with Tom Barry somewhere where Barry said, oh, no, we never intended to shoot Sean Hales. Now, you could say on one level, yeah, that probably is true. On another level, you could wonder is maybe there's a bit of guilt setting in there. They they kind of said, oh, we regretted the shooting of Sean Hales. I mean, Sean Hales, ironically, wasn't there to vote on the legislation that brought in the execution policy. So he actually wasn't on the list of, you know, TDs that were marked for death, so to speak, by the anti-treaty IRA. So, yeah, there's just a lot of very kind of sad and tragic ironies to the whole affair. We've been hearing as well about the composure of these men and the courage. I mean, they were informed at two o'clock on the morning of the 8th that they were to be executed. They were executed that morning. But in between, they had the composure to write letters to friends and family and parents. Did Rory O'Connor do that? We see that type of person. Yeah, Rory O'Connor, like the others, he wrote letters in his final hours. And when I read them, I'm very struck by the sense of religion and his deep Catholic faith. He writes to his sister about how, his sister Ellie, about how he's being, you know, executed on the 8th of December, you know, which is the same day as he made his Holy Communion many years ago. Um, Of course, that's a religious date in itself. And, like, he was very struck by that, you know, you know, he talks about, you know, being devoted and true to the Republican cause at the end. Um, he writes as well about how he doesn't want any bitterness. Uh, he doesn't want any kind of reprisal in response to his death. And his two parents actually write to newspapers after, and there's a, a statement published in several newspapers where they actually quote from this particular letter of Rory's where he states that he doesn't want any reprisal or bitterness to arise from his execution. And his parents say, well, in this spirit, we agree with our late son, you know, which is very powerful. Not, not too dissimilar from the statement that the Hale family would have released after the, you know, the death of um, Dick Barrett. We, we, just, just the statement of Rory's parents, probably not as well known, but it, it's very striking that you know, they brought out a similar statement as well at the time.
Dublin historian and author Gerard Shannon. And finally, in part two in programme three, Sean Enright, legal historian and author of the Irish Civil War, Law, Execution and Atrocity. We seek his views on the execution of Erskine Childers and the burning of sensitive documents, which he says he can understand any government doing in such a situation. Well, from a, a politician's point of view, in that time, that was the sensible and proper thing to do because they couldn't afford for the names of people who sat on these military tribunals or who gave evidence to be opened up to the public, bound to be reprisal. From a historian's point of view, it's something of a tragedy that documents of such importance have been lost to history. But there you are. Going back to Erskine Childers again, I think uh, I'm correct in saying that uh, before his execution, he asked his son to promise him that after the execution, he would go around and shake the hand of every man who was responsible for it. Is that true? That's the story, and I have no reason to disbelieve it. Uh, and uh, he was certainly in a conciliatory frame of mind. Uh, he didn't wish ill on any member of the firing squad. I think his last words were, take a step forward, boys. It'll be easier that way. His son eventually became, was it the fourth president of Ireland later? Indeed. So the family were reconciled in a way, and it's a measure of how people can come together after a crisis like this and put aside old wounds and act positively in the interests of the nation. And that was Sean Enright, legal historian of the Irish Revolutionary Period, 1914 to 1923. Coming up in part three of Programme Three, the final part in Programme, we look into the life of Liam Lynch, a main player in the War of Independence and Civil War. And was Dick Barrett really the first choice for execution on December 8th, 1922? Join me for part three after the break. <laughs> 